The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what many say is the greatest sermon ever preached. Some will qualify this and say, well, come on, other than Jesus, of course. But um, when you think of what Jesus said in John 14, that when he sends the Spirit, people will do even greater works. Why is this such a great sermon? We're going to be looking at verses, uh, we'll start at verse 12, go through 21. But this is, this is Peter's sermon uh, right after the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the people, upon the, the apostles, the, the disciples who were gathered at Pentecost. Uh, why is it a great sermon? Well, it's, it's not because it's really short. Uh, it only takes about a minute to read. Um, I'm, I'm sure the unabridged version was much longer. Luke tells us that this is really just a summary because he says in verse 40, many other words were said. And in Greek, many means about 40 minutes, just like my sermons. So, um, It's not that this sermon is, is long or short but that it's Christ-centered. And the Holy Spirit produces an amazing conversion of 3,000 people. What we see in the sermon is Peter's explanation of Pentecost. Uh, We see people rightly seeing their guilt and that salvation is found in Jesus alone. Again, the book of Acts is not simply the acts of the apostles, but in reality it tells us the acts of Jesus through his church by the power of the Holy Spirit. And on this day of Pentecost, an amazing event has occurred. A sound like mighty rushing wind. Divided tongues as of fire appeared and rested on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to miraculously speak in languages that people heard in their native tongue. As John the Baptist said, Jesus would baptize with fire. And that's what happens here. The sound of wind is the... The Spirit creating, breathing life into His church. And the mission is to proclaim the mighty works of God accomplished in Jesus. It was miraculous. And the gathering crowd who witnessed this, they were, they're described as being amazed, being perplexed, and asking, What does this mean? So, Peter answers. In answering their question, Peter quotes scripture, beginning with Joel 2, and then he gives some psalms as well. We're just going to be looking at the first part of this sermon in Joel chapter 2. God spoke through the prophet Joel concerning this, this very event. Jesus has ascended, and a new kingdom is established. 
But let's remember that the kingdom of God really didn't begin right here. No, Luke tells us that an angel said to Mary that she had found favor with God because she will bear a son who is the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. That's an important thing to keep in mind for later on. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. So for for thousands of years, God's people anticipated a messianic kingdom. And it began at the incarnation. And it was lived out in the ministry of Jesus and the cross and his resurrection. And then Jesus ascends to his rightful throne where he pours out upon his people the promised Holy Spirit. This is what we're seeing here in in Acts. We rightly emphasize Christ's death. We emphasize the resurrection, but his ascension is also very, very critical in our faith because it speaks of Christ's sovereign ruling as King of kings and Lord of lords. The kingdom of God has come. And when the heir of all things ascends to his throne, establishing his sovereign rule at the right hand of the Father, he does something. He sends the helper, the helper who enables his people to do great works. And in this case, it's it's Peter preaching a sermon where 3,000 people are saved. In a single single morning, in a single one sermon, more people are saved in this one sermon than in the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. And it's because Jesus has sent the helper who has, who has actually transformed a man. A man only 50 days prior to this who denied him three times. He, he denied even knowing Jesus. Now he's fearless. In front of the very people who had Jesus murdered, some of whom will eventually murder Stephen. In front of this hostile crowd, he confronts them with their sin concerning Jesus. So, so we've seen a lot already in these first couple of chapters of Acts. We see Jesus, it begins with Jesus being with them for 40 days, giving them many proofs and teaching. Jesus ascends to his rightful throne. There's 10 days of, of preparation as they pray and study the scriptures and wait for this day of Pentecost. And then the Holy Spirit filling these believers who then miraculously speak of the mighty works of God. We see a great gathering of the nations, uh, a reverse tower of Babel, a miracle of speech where people heard these expressions in their native tongue. It's a miracle of speech, but I think it also shows us that God is the one who gives people ears to hear. Because those who heard believed. While it seems that that others who were there only heard gibberish because they're accusing them of being drunk. 
A great crowd had gathered for the feast of the harvest, bringing their first fruits 50 days after Passover. And this miraculous conversion is a first fruits of a spiritual harvest. Pentecost, meaning 50, is this time of celebration and thanksgiving 50 days after Passover. And so there's this great crowd who heard what God was doing in the upper room. And there's debate about this upper room. Where is it? Is it the same upper room? We don't really know, but we know it's big enough for the apostles to be there. And it says 120 disciples, including women, are there, gathered together. But what we do assume is that it must have been close to the temple. It must have been close to the temple courtyard where, the, where this great crowd would have been gathering. Close enough for them to hear what's going on. Close enough for them to then disperse into this crowd where Peter takes the lead and preaches this greatest sermon, this greatest evangelistic sermon of all. Explaining this unique, long-awaited miracle that's just occurred. This morning we're going to consider just this first part of Peter's sermon explained from Joel 2. Uh, But before we open God's word and read it, let's go to him and ask for his help in prayer. Pray with me, please. Father, uh, like these disciples, we need a helper. We need and rely upon the Holy Spirit to help us rightly see Jesus. Thank you that both you and your Son have sent this same Holy Spirit to indwell each and every believer. So that we might know you and grow in you and glorify you. Lord, we give thanks for how you have preserved and given us your word. Your word which is truth, your word that, that is breathed out by you, spirit and life, authoritative. Your word which is profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. So that we might be equipped for every good work of ministry. So Lord, help us to know you. Help us to realize that you give us everything that we need for life and godliness. That you have called each of us to ministry. To be Holy Spirit filled ambassadors for Jesus' sake. Help us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, Acts 2. And we'll, we'll pick it up in verse 12. So Pentecost, this miracle of Pentecost has just happened. And then verse 12, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. 
but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, unlike most preachers, Peter's first sermon was probably his best. It's great because historically it occurs at the beginning of a new era, an age of grace. It's great because of the results. 3,000 are saved. It's great because obviously the Holy Spirit was at work through a man who only 50 days prior didn't have the courage to identify himself with Jesus to a young servant girl. It's a great sermon because it's a biblical sermon. Peter makes his case by quoting scripture, going to Joel, and then a couple of Psalms. And some people think, you know, a great sermon or any sermon, there's no place for humor in a great sermon. But don't you think there's a sense in which Peter has a little bit of humor that he starts with as he's basically saying, drunk? You must be drunk. It's only 9 a.m. This sermon is a, it's a good model for us, for Bear Creek Church. We want our teaching to be biblical. We want it to be Christ-centered. We want it to be convicting. Hey, look at that. I finally made an acronym with my points. Never before has this ever happened. Is it an acronym? It's not a word, but we know BCC. Okay, it counts. Uh, It should also be practical. Don't want to mess it up, so I'm going to put it there. Uh, Practical in that we should answer some of your questions. Like, what does this mean? And what should we do? And more and more as we see various threats to Christ's church, I pray that we will not simply preach. It's easy to preach to you. I'm preaching to the choir. We're, we're kind of in the same, same mindset here. Peter's preaching to a hostile crowd. And I always wonder, you know, where, is, where are we headed? I hope we'll always... Uh, You know, if faced with situations, regardless of popularity, that will be fearless. Because we're going to be faithful to God's word. This is a good model for us. This is is what your elders desire in, in teaching, preaching to you. So let's examine the first part of of Peter's sermon. Something amazing has just happened. 
and people have questions and Peter begins by explaining its historical and biblical significance. Peter knows his Bible. Amazingly, he knows his Bible. He gives an answer saying, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This is what you've seen. Joel. Think of Joel. And then he quotes it. So, for hundreds of years, God's people have wondered about the last days. People today, likewise, are fascinated with the same question. Are we in the last days? And right here, Peter says that this miraculous event of Pentecost is evidence of the last days. The last days have begun. A new era, a new covenant, an age of grace where all of God's people would be filled with the Holy Spirit. The last days have been going on for a couple thousand years now. And the length of this time period speaks of the weightiness, think of this, the length... We can kind of joke and think about last days. Shouldn't that be like, you know, short? We're here. It's the last. No. That 2,000 years have been called the last days. Speaks to the weightiness of the culmination of the last days. The day of the Lord. Which is what we see here. Verses 17 and 18 seem to describe the beginning of the last days. The change, the difference that characterizes this this great time period as a whole. And then verses 19 through 21 describe what these days are leading to. Which is the day of the Lord. The coming judgment that should cause each unbeliever to say, Oh no. What shall I do? The language is apocalyptic. Blood, fire, vapor of smoke, the sun turning dark, the moon to blood. It's figurative language, describing or symbolizing finality to earthly days as we know them. And when I say symbolic, don't think lesser. Don't think lesser than. I'm sure, for example, the reality, you know, the reality is always greater than what's described with pictures. Hell is going to be a whole lot worse than the picture of a lake of fire. And the day of the Lord will be even more dramatic than cosmic events. But for now, we're in the last days. And we have God's word. And we have the Holy Spirit. And we know there is a day yet to come. The great and magnificent day of the Lord. When the world as we know it will come to a stop. And people will bow before the Lord and be rightly judged. And the weightiness of that day will seem much greater than if the sun were darkened and the moon turned to blood. And yet, think of it, how relevant is is Peter describing this to a crowd who actually witnessed the sun turning dark when Jesus died. 
when they killed the Messiah. Peter explains that what they had just witnessed at Pentecost is the beginning prophesied in Joel. And the context involves a coming day of judgment. And he's speaking to a crowd that's directly responsible for the murder of Jesus. And they, like every generation since, must have wondered and assumed that they would see this coming of the Lord in judgment. And we're all guilty. We should all wonder if we'll see this day in our lifetime. We're all responsible for the death of Jesus because it's our sin. It's our sin. It's our rebellion that made the cross necessary. We can't just blame the Jews or the Romans. It's all people. It's us. We nailed him to the cross. We're all guilty. And yet verse 21 gives us hope of mercy and forgiveness, saying it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, what mercy in in this context. They just killed Jesus. And yet mercy is extended. And if not them, it would have been us. Guilt belongs to all. And salvation is offered to everyone. The day of the Lord is the fearful context that should cause every person to say, What have I done? What shall I do? It may be in our lifetime, or it may be another 2,000 years from now. The last days began at Pentecost, and we're still in them today, and the Lord will come again. And our message as Christ's church is repent, turn from your sin, change your mind about who Jesus is and what he's done. Turn to him in faith, call on him, and you will be saved from this terrible day to come. God is just, he sees all, he knows all, he is a just judge, and all will give an account. And you might be thinking, Well, isn't that your job, Pastor Brian? Uh, Isn't that for the clergy and the evangelists and the missionaries to do? And my answer would be, it's a new era. Read verses 17 and 18. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants in those days i will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy when god's spirit was poured out on the day of pentecost it was the beginning of a long-awaited prophecy A new era of the church where all believers are equipped to declare the mighty works of God. This is the beginning. And we're still in it. And if you're a Christian, then you have the Spirit and He will enable you in some way in your position, in your role, at your age, with your surroundings, your friends, your circumstances, your job... 
he will enable you to prophesy or to communicate God's word, to be used of God to give people a right vision of him. It's a new day. And we're probably, we probably don't appreciate it as being such a great day that it is. We probably don't appreciate it because, well, it's all we know. We're not mindful of how things used to be. The people of old longed for this day and we're living in it. God's spirit used to just used to just fill prophets and kings and men. But now it's, it's daughters as well. It's young and old. It's rich and poor. Now we are one body in Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Peter explains that they are seeing the fulfillment of prophecy. That God spoke this day. That God's people anticipated this day. And now it's finally here. Let's go back to Moses. Think of Moses. We can gain some perspective of this. The Holy Spirit is God. He has always been active. Anybody who comes to faith in Old Testament times comes to faith by the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has always been active. But in the Old Testament, He would indwell and equip only select men, like prophets and kings. The Holy Spirit was not a permanent seal upon all of God's people. When we think of King David even praying, take not your Holy Spirit from me. We don't have to pray that. God has given us permanently, sealed us with his Holy Spirit who will never leave us. So it was different then. And so what we have today, it's much greater than what occurred under the old covenant. Back in Exodus, you might remember Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, realizing that Moses, you know, he was, he was doing everything by himself. He would sit from morning until evening, giving answers, making judgments as the people would, would come to him. I, I always say, you know, I like questions, but wow, that would have been something. Uh, Jethro said, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So Jethro gave him the advice to teach the law of God to the people, but to also look for godly men to help with the work. And Moses did this. And then in Numbers we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you. 
so that you may not bear it yourself alone. God did this, and the men began to prophesy. And and then one day Joshua, who apparently didn't know what was going on, or forgot or something, saw a couple of men outside of the camp manifesting the power of the Spirit, and he wrongly thought, you know, only Moses should be doing this. What's going on here? And Moses corrects Joshua and says, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. This is Moses' desire and prayer. Oh, wouldn't it be great if all of God's people had the spirit? Concerning this, R.C. Sproul once said, that's my dream. A laity empowered by God, one that is not satisfied with hiring professionals to do the work of ministry, but will come when their neighbor is in need and pray as priests for their friends. I'm so thankful to God for you, because so many of you do that. There is a priesthood of all believers, and we're all called to pray with with people, to give counsel to people, to minister with people, because because we're spirit-filled. The result of Pentecost is that all Christians permanently have the Holy Spirit, and we all should realize that He equips us as priests. Priests in the sense of ministering God to people, to the people around us. And this doesn't negate elders and deacons and a God-ordained structure of, of different roles and responsibilities within His church. But it does mean that we are all equipped for the work of ministry. That it's not just the elders or the deacons, it's you. We come together to worship our great and glorious God, sing praises to Him, and for you to be equipped for the work of ministry, to go and impact people that we could never, elders and deacons could never reach. The prayer of Moses became a prophecy later on in Jewish history. During a terrible time, a plague of locusts, And God spoke judgment through Joel because his people had turned away from him. But in this message of judgment, he also gave them a hope. And now, hundreds of years later, Peter preaches a sermon saying that what you just witnessed was the fulfillment of this as the Holy Spirit has been been poured out, not just on 70 Not just 70 elders of Israel helping Moses. Not just men, but women as well. Young and old, servants, everybody who's in the flock of God. As Pastor Bill preached last week, we're all all living stones. Fit together to make up Christ's church. There's no such thing as a Christian who has not been anointed by the Holy Spirit for the work of ministry. God intends for you to minister to people. Later on, the Apostle Paul will say, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. 
the gifts the gifts and roles are not the same but we have the same spirit and we're called to be deeply involved in the ministry of the kingdom of god and so know god's word study god's word study god's word so that you can minister to the people in your life you can give them wise and biblical counsel pray with them comfort them encourage them lovingly confront sin yeah even that because you love them and you know that it's going to hurt them show hospitality use your gifts to build these kinds of relationships that's who we are if you're not coming to church, if you're not involved as a, as a living stone, a part of God's church, then we're going to have some holes in our structure. And it won't be as strong. And in a sense, you'll be denying Pentecost because the whole life of the church is to involve the whole people of the church. Because every Christian has received the same power that they received. And the point in saying this isn't to create some legalistic ranking system or guilt trip to be here. No, it's to wake us up to the reality of Pentecost. And the incredible, incredible privilege and joy that's ours to have the Holy Spirit equip us and use us. He uses you for ministry. It's amazing. It's not you, it's the Holy Spirit working through you. What a joy, what a privilege. How gracious is our God. We need to realize that most of, most of God's people prior to Pentecost, they were not filled as we are filled. They yearned for what we have. Okay, you might be wondering, I mean, what does this look like? In the sense of Joel 2, what does it mean for me to be prophesying? Should I have visions and dreams? You might be wondering, you might be asking. Well, yes, you should, but not like them. Because the main difference, think about it, what's the main difference between their time and our time? It's that we have something wonderful. We have something wonderful that they didn't. We have the complete word of God. We have scripture, the New Testament. God's breathed out word was happening in their time. And now what we have is complete. The foundation of the church structure has already been laid. Prophecy has to do with God's authoritative communication. Prophets of old would say, Hear the oracle of God, thus saith the Lord. And what followed would be received as the very word or message of God. People would trust that, that these people really were prophets because God would give them miraculous signs or miracles so that the people around would understand this person must be speaking God's word. This person has the authority of God. Look at the signs, look at the miracles. Now think of Nicodemus, comes to Jesus late at night, John chapter 3. 
wasn't he thinking along these lines? When he says, Rabbi, we, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It worked. Jesus did miraculous healings. And I would suggest not simply because he was compassionate, but he didn't do them simply out of compassion to suffering people. But I would say primarily to demonstrate that he was the prophet, a prophet, the prophet, the ultimate prophet, the word of God. The book of Hebrews begins by saying, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. The New Testament is this speaking of God, this prophecy by his son who specifically chose and gave authority to his 12 apostles for this foundational task. And this is why we'll see them later on in Acts doing these miraculous signs and wonders. It, it will cause people to respond like Nicodemus who said, no one can do these things unless God is with you. Your testimony must be true. Your writings must be the word of God. It authenticated it. And now, it's done. It's complete. So why would anyone want more than what Jesus has already finished? Why would we... Why would we need to go on, have ongoing miraculous signs when God's authoritative, all-sufficient word is complete? The heart, there's a heart to prophecy. The heart of prophecy has to do with God's communication. Visions and dreams have to do with our rightly seeing and understanding Him and His work. So if I stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, or I have a prophetic word, the next words that come out of my mouth better be scripture. That's how we prophesy today. And the Holy Spirit uses this as a powerful means to give people a right vision of Jesus. Instead of a new vision or dream, I'd rather see Christ and dream of ways to be used by Him. Prophecy today is the declaration of God's Word, not adding to it like every cult that's ever existed does. Visions and dreams have to do with rightly seeing, rightly interpreting God's word. And the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see and to understand. So yes, prophesy. Yes, prophesy. Have and give right visions, dreams of Christ according to his word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. The blessing, this blessing of Pentecost continues in these ways. And it's marvelous. It's it's better. Really is. It's better. We have a greater perspective. We have a, a greater gift in God's word, a greater clarity 
If it's all about Jesus, that is. I want Bear Creek Church to continue being a spirit-filled church. When you hear spirit-filled church, you probably think of all sorts of things. What you should think of is a church that has its focus on Jesus. That's a spirit-filled church. A bunch of stuff going on where Jesus doesn't even come to mind and you're thinking, wow, wasn't that, wasn't that exciting? Whatever that. Wow, the Holy Spirit's really at work. And you're not even thinking about, that's not Holy Spirit-filled. It doesn't mean that, you know, um, being a Holy Spirit-filled church doesn't mean we're going to give a prophetic word, but that we'll instead declare the truth of God's word. And if there are dreams and visions, let them be a heart's desire to see Jesus for who he truly is. And then to respond with worship, appropriate worship to him and love and humble service. A spirit-filled church is not going to emphasize miraculous signs and wonders, but will emphasize what the Holy Spirit desires, which is shining the light on Jesus. His incarnation as the God-man, His life and ministry, His sacrificial death on the cross, His life-giving resurrection, His exaltation both in His ascension and His second coming. These are the mighty works of God for us to share so that people will know to call on the Lord and be saved. And if you hear this and think, ah, doesn't sound as fun. I want to speak new prophecy. I want to have miraculous visions and dreams. My rebuke would be, stop it. (laughs) Stop it. You have something way better. Why would you want to build a foundation on top of a foundation that's already finished? Don't you realize how many people throughout history only dreamed of what we have? The point of it all is to hear from God, to rightly see and know Him. And this is what we have in the treasure of God's Word. Don't despise His gift. Don't despise His gift and the incredible privilege that is ours. Don't neglect gathering as His church where we hear from God through the preaching of His Word where we see Him more clearly as we worship Him in song, dine at the table with Christ Himself, speak into each other's lives through Christian fellowship. So if you want prophecy, visions, and dreams, don't miss church. And this isn't to say that God doesn't continue to do miracles. Don't hear me wrong. Of course he does. Praise God. I'm the dad of a daughter who was miraculously healed by God. I'm the last person to deny ongoing miracles of God. I'm not going to put him in a box. If God chooses to give a missionary the ability to speak a language that they never knew in order to share the gospel, I'm all for it. Of course he can. But what's regular within the church? What's normal for us? 
Let's also be careful not to crave something beyond the miracle God has already given us in Jesus. His Word, His Church, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Oh, you know, we are a Spirit-filled church. And I know this because Christ is preached. He is at the center of what we see, what we proclaim. This is what the Holy Spirit came to do. And we need to keep walking with Him and bearing His fruit. Let me close with a thought from author Scott Hubbard. He writes, Of all the blessings that are ours in Christ, is any greater than the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit? The the Spirit is, according to Jonathan Edwards, the sum of the blessings Christ sought by what He did and suffered in the work of redemption. The Spirit illumines our Savior's face. The Spirit puts Abba Father in our mouths. The Spirit plants heaven in our hearts. For all the blessings the Spirit brings, however, many of us labor under confusion when it comes to recognizing the Spirit's presence. As a new believer, I was told that speaking in tongues and prophesying were two indispensable signs of the Spirit's power. Perhaps others of us without focusing the lens so narrowly, likewise identify the Spirit's presence most readily with His miraculous gifts, visions, healings, impressions, and more. Nevertheless, when Paul tells the Galatians to walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, he focuses their attention not on the Spirit's gifts, but on the Spirit's fruit. So if we want to know whether we are keeping in step with the Spirit or whether we need to find His footsteps again, we would do well to consider love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's pray. Father, fill us with your Spirit. Make us a a church that bears His fruit in our lives, in the building up of this body of believers, in the various ways that we might minister to those around us. We lift up members of this church around the world, missionaries, proclaiming the mighty works of God and ask for their protection, their provision, your blessing over their ministry, strength and joy for ongoing fruit that many would be added to your kingdom. Lord, give us a hunger for what you have declared in your word. Give us a a vision of Jesus. Cause us to dream of ways to share him with others. to, To pray for opportunities. And then to act. Lord, use us to declare the good news of Jesus. To bring about repentance and faith. Knowing that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.